My name is August McLaughlin, and I've been contemplating girl boners for years. It's time for Girl Boner Radio with August McLaughlin, a spicy blend of personal stories, in-depth reporting, and inspiration. Girl Boner is where good girls go for sexual empowerment. Listen in as August McLaughlin, award-winning health and sexuality writer, explores female sexual pleasure like no one else. She's the big sister slash girlfriend you've always wanted, and she loves to talk sex. Only on Global Voice Broadcasting. He swept me off my feet with charm and romance, and I was so happy, euphoric even, until... I wasn't. Until his controlling, possessive, violent ways took over, I felt stuck and alone as though I was the crazy one. Does this sound familiar? If so, you may have been in a relationship with someone on the narcissist-sociopath spectrum. The personality disorders can cause major relationship issues in the bedroom included. Welcome back to Girl Boner Radio, everyone. I'm your host, August McLaughlin, and today we are going to carry on a series I started here about two years ago that I still frequently hear from listeners about, I Dated a Sociopath. If you read my blog, you may know that I was in such a relationship myself, and getting out of it and moving on was inarguably one of the hardest things I have ever done. To receive a link to that post and other occasional Girl Boner extras, sign up for email updates at augustmclaughlin.com or girlboner.org. If you caught the series here, you've heard other women's stories as well, which you'll hear a couple clips from today, which prove that there is so much hope and healing to be had if you are struggling as they once did. In a bit, we will hear from our very own Dr. Megan Fleming, who will weigh in on sex and the sociopath, including why is it potentially so hot? First, I'm thrilled to welcome Jenny J.V. Wilson to the show. She provides therapy for folks on a whole range of issues, including healing from toxic relationships, and co-hosts the fabulous podcast I had the honor of appearing on last year with Dr. Wendy, The Relationship Show with Dr. Wendy and Miss Jenny. Thank you so much for joining me today. Thanks for having me on. So I know this topic comes up quite a bit in your work. It does. Is this something that people come to you and they know that they're dealing with it? Um, Sometimes, uh, and I know we we talked about this a little bit before we came in here, Uh, sometimes people come in and they think that they're having a relationship with a sociopath or a narcissist, and you have to kind of parse out what's really going on, because it might be something else that's happening with their partner, and uh, it's been very much part of the zeitgeist, you know, narcissism and sociopathy, and uh, people come in and they're just not getting what they want, but uh, so they just want to sort of easily label it this way or another. But yes, I do tend to work with the people who are in relationships with uh, people with the personality disorders. So, you know, the survivors of the borderline relationship or the narcissistic relationship or, you know, being in a relationship with a sociopath. I've heard different definitions of narcissist and sociopath, kind of in a nutshell, how do you define them? Uh, narcissism narcissism is more about ego. Uh, there's an emptiness um, inside. I, I like to think of it as scaffolding. There's not a lot of scaffolding. Uh, it's like... Um, I don't know if if you've ever taken an egg and put the little prick in and let the stuff come out. Uh, So it's kind of empty on the inside. That's kind of what narcissism is. It's it's 
kind of sad. It's rooted in fear of rejection and abandonment. Um, and there is a lot of feeling there. Usually it's feeling for themselves, um, but uh, they do really want to be liked. They do really want a, a level of acceptance. Uh, when you get into sociopathy or um, psycho, uh, I'm going to say, I, I'm, I'm not, now you've got me all stressed out about psychopath. A psychopathic, <laughs> yeah. which, you know, you're going uh, down the anti-social uh, road where you're talking about somebody who's hurtful uh, and um, is manipulative and purposely almost game playing. Um, there's a power drive that supersedes any consideration for an individual Uh and there's a recklessness about it. There's there's just a lack of empathy. Somebody recently, I don't know where I read this, but I wrote it down. And uh, they said, Socio uh, sociopaths act without empathy, prudence, or respect for health. And that's not just about others. It's also with themselves. So uh, you can have people who are productive members of society, Um you and I had had a brief exchange where we were talking about how it would be nice every once in a while to really not care or give a shit about what other people think. Uh, and they really don't. And they can have a very good self-image. They just don't have what uh, Martha Stout talks about in The Sociopath Next Door. They don't have what she calls their seventh sense, which is the conscience, mm. understanding the consequences of their behaviors and the effects on other people. Uh, but when they do, sometimes they, they can learn it. And uh, again, it will become a game. That's so fascinating and, and really well put. I know it can affect relationships in so many different ways. And after I shared my own story and then interviewed a couple of women and, and Dr. Wendy, actually, I started to hear from many, many, many people of all genders who are experiencing um, on the they are not the sociopath or narcissist one, but they believe their partner is. And one of the very consistent um, kind of traits was this love bombing, which I certainly experienced as well. And when I asked uh, Sarah Hay, she's a lifestyle fashion journalist who she called her breakthrough narc experience. She had this really intense, she said she got the closest to death as she has, has ever in a very adventurous life when she was dating a, who she, what she believes to be a sociopath. And she talked about the initial introduction phase. Absolutely. You When you meet a narcissist or sociopath or psychopath, they will, they're, they're, they're very charming. They have this great energy about them. They have this allure about them. They're, they're super interested in you. They're asking you lots of questions. And, and as a female, well, as a human being, you're like, oh, wow, okay, great. You know, I really like this person. They seem to be like, on my level and they're listening to what I say and, you know, so on and so forth. Um, but I now now know that when you are speaking to one of these characters, it's not they're not just asking questions and listening to what you say. They're searching for information. They're looking for they're they're looking for doors and and kind of ways in into your personality to win you over. I thought that was so fascinating. Is that something that you see a lot? Absolutely. It's also something I've been on the other end of. I haven't had a long-term relationship with somebody like that, although I've been surrounded by narcissists my whole life. Um, 
But yes, they're they can be so intelligent, so charming, very extroverted. Um, that's kind of one of those confusing things on the spectrum because you you will also refer to the kids who shot up Columbine as sociopaths, you know, uh, and that's kind of a different. Um, area than we're talking about specifically in relationships. Not that you might not be having a relationship with somebody who is also plotting a mass terrorist act or something horrible that you aren't aware of. But um, but yeah, I, I don't think we're talking about that extreme here. It's They can spot your weaknesses really quickly and they don't exploit them right away, but it's money in the bank for them. And they usually want something from you. And it might be that they want you to be the trophy on their arm because it'll up their currency somewhere. It may be because they're lazy. That's the other thing is they can be incredibly lazy and play the victim and get you to feel sorry for them so that you will take care of them. And that's one of the games that people play and it doesn't seem to fit in people's initial idea of what a sociopath is. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. In my own experience, I remember I was in an acting class. So of course, you're pouring out your heart, right? And I had been going through a massive breakup and it was in the aftermath of that. So we'd get up and do these exercises. I was bearing my soul. And as as Sarah mentioned, you know, he ended up using all of that. Like he was using his research. So by the time we started to interact, it was as though <laughs> it was that feeling of that that you get when you're watching a, a romance movie. You know, for the first like maybe I remember watching Sleepless in Seattle when I was like 12, and you're like, I want that love, like someone who just gets me yeah. and who who will like. I would ask him for you know um, before we were dating, um, you know, could you give me a stick of gum? Sure, and then he would drive somewhere and buy me 47 packs of gum. And it was just, you know, I would giggle about it and you just feel so cherished. And he knew that I had been in a relationship that was quite the opposite. So in hindsight, I see that he was studying, but I feel like because the ideas of romance that we've been taught, especially, you know, there's so many TV shows still where a, a guy especially is, you know, pursuing a woman and she says no and he keeps going. He shows up everywhere. And we're like, oh, that is so romantic. Do you feel like entertainment kind of makes us more blind to this kind of thing? I I, I do, actually. Um, at the same time, I do think it keeps hope alive. Uh, and I do think that at the beginning, it's not just I don't that I think it. I mean, we know that the beginning of any relationship, the first three to six months, the that love bombing that the sociopaths do, a lot of us do. I mean, we all have these behaviors, too, especially when you meet somebody that you really do connect with. And so I think that that's what's more devastating to people at a certain point when they realize, like, hey, wait, there's something seriously wrong here in this relationship. Because then they feel like, how was I so stupid? How did I not see the signs? And it's something that Anybody, anybody can be blinded by because it mimics in those first three to six months what most of us feel when you're falling into love. It's like that puppy love. Of course, usually when you're younger, it's that intense, you know. Um, but yeah, uh, I 
What was the question again? Yeah, it's there. <laughs> yeah, that that the kind of, you know, the depictions we see kind of and I like that you said it keeps hope alive too because and that you mentioned that some of the just because somebody like if someone's listening and they're like, oh, my God, I'm dating someone who's doing all these amazing right. things for me. That He's doesn't necessarily. Oh, yeah. my God. Yeah. yeah. That's doesn't not mean necessarily that, yeah. bad. Um, one thing that is very interesting to me is that I feel like because we talk about charm. Right. And when someone says somebody is so charming, I always kind of wonder. But there's a superficial charm and then there's a genuine charm. And like in my experience, I remember feeling if I really had asked myself deep within, and again, not to blame myself, but looking back, there was a little fear. Like there's a little, and it's hard to experience, like to be able to sort that out when it's new because you have all these other chemicals going on and you're punch drunk in love or whatever. Um, but I I think sometimes there's, th- there is a difference. And I guess- what would you say is one way to tell the difference between a superficial charm versus somebody who's just really warm and friendly and romantic? Well, of course, there's going to be many different ways in different situations. So I'm just covering my own ass here and just sort of saying, so this is just one thing. Uh, I would see how my friends and and people are reacting to them. Uh, And somebody that you really, really trust if you're having any kind of questions. But I also want to say, you know, even in the relationship you were in, the way you describe it, a little bit of fear for any of us at the beginning of a relationship isn't necessarily a bad thing because we should be cautious with our heart. It's ours and it's precious and our love is worth a lot and we should be thoughtful about who we're giving it to and people should earn that and inspire that so if you're coming out of a bad relationship as well or hurt um, and you're feeling vulnerable and sensitive a little bit of fear makes sense so that's also difficult because it's like well wait a minute am I feeling this fear because of this person or am I feeling feeling it because I'm I'm still a little bit wounded from this other experience Uh, So I would definitely talk to a close friend to kind of parse that out at the beginning and see, um, of course, you don't want to be too hyper-reactive, but somebody who knows you well, I think, is a really good place to begin. That's brilliant. Because, again, there would be other signs. Yeah. It's never just one. So that's another. You mentioned... your own friends I know another potential sign is that they may not have a lot of close friends yes that's very true too and that was the case in both of these two women's cases that that we're going to hear from today and also in mine where there really weren't any other close friends and you know they they were very popular from like a distance yeah and, and what are those relationships that they do have uh, like, are they filled with drama? Are they filled with toxicity? Are, or are they superficial? Are they uh, with people who respect and admire them, but may not really have deep connections with them uh, that you would notice over time? Uh, and some ways to kind of note that is if they are willing to clear their schedule all the time for you, uh, that. Um, yeah, that that you become the center of their universe in in that way, um, because 
of course we want to become the center of somebody's universe when we're into them at the beginning of a relationship. But there's also something a little weird about that because we want if if we want to be a fully formed person in a relationship, I would imagine that we want to be with somebody who is a fully formed individual. And that's something that I know I learned over time after a long series of relationships. Um, and then when you get to that point, it isn't it, you, you don't feel the fear like you're talking about. You're not feeling drama. You're not feeling anxiety. You're just feeling okay. Like, this is good. This is good. Maybe you're, like, a little scared because it's good. But it's not so good. It's not like, this is fucking amazing. All my dreams are coming. If, if you're feeling that, then that might also be a sign. Yeah, yeah. It's so interesting because there is that period at the beginning where... You might want to just keep it to yourselves, and of course, you're much more focused on the relationship. Let's hibernate. But if it stays that way, yeah. and if you find yourself distancing from your own friends, yes, I think that happens a lot, which makes it harder to reach out for support. Right, and how how deep do they want to get into your life? I mean, they sometimes they do. They want to get involved, and uh, they want to know all your people so that they can sort of corner that and get them on their side. Um, but are they also encouraging you to do your own thing? Are they giving you space? Because that's a healthy relationship. A healthy relationship is, hey, August, you got to go do your podcast. I'll see you later on tonight. You just contact me. When, when you're done. An unhealthy is like, oh, you really have to go this time. Can't you call it off? Have just a few minutes long. And then the whole time you're here, your phone's like blowing up and it's like you're getting 50 text messages. Where are you? When are you going to be back? Hope it's going great. Smiley face. Hey, here's a picture of me. Hey, my dog just took a dump. You know, it's like every little thing that they're doing, they want you to know. Then that's a red flag, too. Like, all right, let's slow your roll, cowboy. Yeah, yeah. Such a good point. And Another pattern seems to be that very often there's a period where they are doing more of the love bombing and it's it's almost you're not seeing some of the more negative stuff or or perceiving some of the positive things as potentially part of sociopathy. But sometimes it seems we get so deep into it and that's when we start to see more of the true colors. And by then, you might feel in love with this person because usually they escalate quickly. That's another thing that seemed to be a pattern in the people I've spoken to is that it doesn't just go from, you know, this honeymoon kind of period. It, it's like you are, you want to like get married within a couple of months or something. I mean, you may not do it, but you, you're so serious so fast. Is that common? Yeah, making future plans really soon out the gate is a big red flag. Uh, not just with this kind of a connection, but with anybody. I think there's something going on there that you should definitely look at. But yeah, there's there's a fantasizing, and, and you're also the... You are as much, if not more so, the answer to all their prayers. And who doesn't want to be the answer to somebody's prayers? Especially if you're attracted to them. You know, especially if you intellectually connect with them, you have things in common, uh, they're totally hot. These things can be very blinding. Yeah. The charm factor, too, like you're saying. Yeah, yeah absolutely. And they can lose it. I mean, there are people who other people might think 
really that that guy but then that person you're in the room with them or they open their mouth and it's like everybody men and women alike everyone's like I want to be you I want to be with you (laughs) yeah totally that's it too And, and I think sometimes there's some of them get off on the challenge of of kind of quote getting the unattainable person because in my case I know I was in like I said an acting class and I wasn't looking for a relationship but every seemed like every other woman in the class had a crush on him and I've spoken to others who've had kind of that experience where it's almost like the bigger the challenge Absolutely. Yeah. Again, uh, they want to feel like they're the most intelligent people in the room. And sometimes they are because, hey, if you if you're not too caught up in the emotional intricacies of how to navigate relationships, that gives you a lot of time to study other things uh, and to be very smart. Um and so they they love it. They love being the center of attention, and they want to be yours. And if they're not, if you're going through your own thing or you're not looking for a relationship, yeah, that puts a target on you because <laughs> they they're gonna they're gonna want a piece of that. Yeah, and then also one guest I interviewed, her uh, husband was a narcissist and also a sex addict, and she is one of the most brilliant people I've probably ever met and incredibly empathetic and it's interesting that because I think also sometimes we can again kind of beat ourselves up like I'm an intelligent person how could I not see this right but she sees that she was a big challenge because of that even you know it's like if if he can hide from her oh yeah the true colors oh sure and there's also something very validating if you can um be powerful enough to make somebody that capable, that smart, feel less capable, that less intelligent, or that you are more capable and more intelligent than them, then that's that's a big boost to the ego. But another thing that I was thinking as as we've been talking about this, and again, it goes back to you in that acting class and, and feeling vulnerable and also revealing yourself, people who are incapable of feeling those emotions, uh, they're going to really go towards the people who have the most ability to. So I think about Harriet Lerner, and I don't know if this is something she came up with or, or somebody else, but she talks about the over-functioning and under-functioning in a couple, uh, or any relationship, because it can be in friendships and parent-child. But um, so if one person is over-functioning in some way, it causes the other person to under-function because they don't have to. So in other words, uh, if if you and I are a couple, August, and um, we're concerned about or our child has a cold or something, and I'm really concerned, and I'm like, August, we should take her. We should take her in. And you're just like, no, no, Jenny, just calm down. Because the more hyper I am about it, over-functioning, you're going to under-function and be like, no, I don't know. I think you might want to just, you know, calm down a little bit there, Jenny. And so, you know, we're always kind of seeking a balance. And of course, there will be moments in any healthy or normal relationship that will be like that. And that's a partnership. But if, if somebody really does not have the capacity to feel emotional 
connection with people, how helpful is it to have somebody who knows, like, what everything anybody else is doing kind of means or wants? I mean, that person's like, it's like the Rosetta Stone. Like, if, if I'm if I'm with somebody like that, then they can translate the world to me and maybe I can function in it even better. I never thought about that. No wonder, because it does seem that there's this yin and yang of the highly empathetic person, which I feel like I am in that area and the lacking where you want to also the highly empathetic person wants to help people. So you feel, you know, and I still have empathy for people who don't have empathy, which is very complicated, (laughs) but it's interesting, that whole balance. And I'd love to dip a little bit into how this can manifest into our sexual relationships. And we have a question from a listener that's very relevant here. Jessica wrote this, I'm pretty sure my ex is a narcissist or possibly a sociopath. He charmed me in the beginning, then gradually became controlling, manipulative, jealous, and conniving. He's full of himself, and I've seen him hurt people people and feel fine with it, including me a ton of times, as long as he got what he wanted. I broke up with him a few times, actually, but we are now back together. This might sound stupid, but I keep going back for the sex. It's so amazing. Is this because he's a narcissist type? If so, I'm afraid I'll have to choose between the best sex life ever and happiness. Jessica. I asked this question to our resident expert, Dr. Megan Fleming, to see what she had to say. Jessica, uh, I love this question and I love that this episode is, um, you know, really looking into the minds and psyche of those that are narcissistic or possibly uh, sociopathic in that um, so often when we're first um, getting into relationships, someone can make us feel so amazing, so charming, um, and that a sense of being, you know, wanted and desired and the best they've ever had and, you know... It, it just, it really is seductive. And I think that that is probably a big part of the reason why you're feeling that the sex, in a sense, was so amazing and intense. Um, and listen, I don't think it's specific to being in any way narcissistic, but I think it's important for you to really think about what was that dynamic. And by that, I mean, it's often, um, you know, the intensity and part of the intensity and desire for a partner in in these kinds of relationships, it's about a push and a pull. It's like the sense of, you know, they pull you close, come closer, and then they push you away and you're not good enough or worthy, or they really can uh, rack with your own sense of self-esteem. And that in this moment when it's about sex and they're choosing you, you're feeling wanted, you're feeling special, you're feeling desired. And it's like a drug. Um, And I think it's that drug-like quality that relieves the tension around not feeling enough and um, all the insecurity that's sort of been uh, tapped into to in that moment feeling like you're everything. And that is a drug in a feeling. And I think that that probably is a big piece of what, you know, in my mind is the intensity because it's important to recognize intensity does not equal love or necessarily intimacy or happiness. Um, and I think that often for someone who is more narcissistic, you know, sex really is the glue that binds. It is that, um, that reassurance that, you know, go away, come back. And the fact that you come back is the sense of, and you're still under my influence. And that in some ways is about their own need to be in control and sort of their own drug that they still have that influence over you. 
Um, and I think, listen, I, it's interesting to think that in your mind's eye, you imagine that uh, you can't have that, in a sense, intensity. And I really want you to think about what did that look and feel like for you and what was hot about it? Um, because it's certainly true that for some of us, uh, there's there's a bit of an erotic split. And by that, I mean um, sometimes to really feel intensity and to lose oneself, to be selfish almost for one's sexual uh, needs and pleasures, it's to not feel responsible for a partner's feelings um, so that you can sort of be raw and in the moment and really um, going sort of with that sense of intensity and feeling your own pleasure. Um, but I think it's to recognize that that is um, a sensation, but that it's not necessarily intimacy. And what you're sort of sharing with me is that, um, you know, it's as if you'd have to choose sexual intensity or happiness. And I'm like, hmm, again, really just get curious with yourself. How and why do you believe that um, a relationship or the kind of sex that leaves you wanting, leaves you longing, leaves you uh, unhappy is that really the kind of relationship that works for you? And in any way, is that even possibly the best sex that you've ever had? Um, it may be the best sex you've known so far. And as I said, it's to understand what are the elements of it? What was the tension? What was um, the abandonment or what made it so pleasurable? But I really would imagine that and encourage you to think about Maybe it feels as if it's the best sex you've had so far, but you haven't even yet experienced that. And what might that really look like? Can you even imagine great sex with a sort of an available, intimate um, partner where you feel connected and you feel the consistency? Um, and to recognize that so often when you've been together that long with somebody who's narcissistic, you've kind of lost your own inner pilot light, your own sense of your own truth, your intuition, what really truly feels good. Um, and that's what I want you to really allow yourself to just pay attention to and, and reconnect with your own truth of who you are, what you desire, what turns you on, uh, the kind of partner that you want to be with. And when you really sort of say goodbye to this relationship as you have, it's not saying goodbye to the best sex. It's actually opening up the possibility to discover and experience for you really being connected to your own truth, your own best of self. What is the best sex that you're going to enjoy and that will be consistent and be uh, a relationship that you can count on. Because in my mind, when you can have happiness and consistency uh, and exploration, that is the sort of core ingredients that will help you to discover what ultimately will be the best sex in your life. As always, want to hear how it goes. Thank you so much, Dr. Megan. I always love what she has to say, and everyone can find her and learn more at greatlifegreatsex.com. She actually has a blog post about that sexual pilot light that I love, so head over there and, and check it out. Jenny, what are your initial thoughts? It's funny because she said uh, something that I have in my notes that anybody who's going to tell me that it's the best sex of their life, I always respond so far you know that so far and and i also look at those kinds of experiences and those intense feelings that we're having i can't get rid of this relationship because i've never felt like this i mean it's amazing 
if you kind of just recalibrate your point of view a little bit, you know you can have that. So, you know, it doesn't have to be attached to that person specifically. And I think what she was saying is absolutely, obviously right on that you've got to look at yourself and, and what are the things that you're enjoying out of that sexual experience. And maybe it is just that you are kind of, even though you're with another person, you're having the opportunity to experience sexual pleasure by yourself in a way. Uh, so that's even better because you can recreate that. I always think like, well, you know, if it's the best sex of your life, maybe you need to have some more sex. Um I'm not advocating promiscuity, but I am, you know, I am very much a believer in experience. If you uh, if you want it is not a bad thing. Um, and uh, I'm very anti double standard. Women are sluts, but men need experience, uh, that kind of thing. So, um, yeah, I think. Everything that she said is relevant. I mean, it's like an addiction in these situations. You've got all these neurotransmitters going off. You've got the dopamine, which is, you know, the reward and pleasure neurotransmitter. Um, and if they're breaking up and getting back together and have, I mean, so many people, myself included, have had amazing breakup sex. What happens? You've been in a relationship for a really long time. You break up and then you fall back into bed together after some big discussion, teary-eyed, it's so intense, and everybody wants to feel something intense, and it just makes it that much better, and uh, that you want that bonding, and there's the oxytocin, you know, that's that's the other, that's the other hormone that, that goes into the mix there, and we want to bond, and oh, we just, again, we don't want to believe that the relationship wasn't any good, and, you know, and oh, but it's it's kind of an illusion because it, it will dissipate and then you're back to where you started from. Yes. I love what you said about maybe she's actually learning about herself because I remember feeling like this is going to sound slightly callous, but I kind of felt like he was my sex toy. Yeah. And it was like when you're with somebody that feels like they're there specifically for your pleasure, which I think is one potential perk, you know, or one of the reasons that maybe somebody who is lacking in empathy and who's so like goal oriented, sure. almost like very my, you know, I'm going to impress you almost with my ability to please you. It, that is that is something that not a lot of women give themselves because of all those societal negative messages that we've learned, yeah. you know, that our pleasure is not something that is a right. And so that can be really powerful. What are some of the other ways that perhaps somebody who's a narcissist or sociopath might be advantageous in the bedroom for your – why would it be better? Well, I, I think you touched upon it right there. They they want to impress so – Especially, I think, earlier on in the relationship, I think if you've been with the person for a longer amount of time, it's going to get, and this is another red flag, uh, sex is going to become more complicated. They may start to want it more or they might want want it less to sort of control you in that way. Um, uh, and there is a need, especially in uh, sociopaths, for variety and, I mean, Humans in general, we, we're kind of riding the spectrum between our intrinsic need and desire for comfort and safety and our need and desire for adventure and uh, variety. 
but it's extreme in this case. And so they might start to bring things into the mix, want to bring in other people, want you to do things that you're not comfortable with. And at a certain point, you might start to acquiesce and be like, well, okay, because you think you might lose that relationship. So those are kind of danger signs. But, you know, the good thing is, again, there's it's, it's such a wide spectrum you know, maybe there is something good about having somebody who wants you to dress up in lingerie and, you know, and play with certain toys or wants to go down on you and you've never been comfortable with that or whatever it is that will push you past your comfort zone uh, in a safe way. It's when it's when you find yourself doing things that you really don't want to be doing that you probably want to turn around and uh, head a different direction. <laughs> yeah, yeah. You mentioned uh, using it as control. And when I interviewed Crystal Rose, who's a writer, uh, I asked her how her relationship with someone who she felt was on the spectrum, kind of how that all affected her sexual intimacy and her experience was not pleasurable. Uh, that was probably the most traumatizing part of everything. Um, I've heard some other women talk about how, you know, sex was more so demanded and enforced on them. And I had the opposite. It was withheld. Uh, and I'm pretty sure now as a control tactic because I was, I'm very much a sexual person. I love sex, very into it. Um, and it make, nothing makes me feel, you know, better and validated than my man finding me sexy and wanting to have sex with me. So um, we would go almost an entire month or even longer without having sex at all, nothing. And I would try whatever, I, just I would wear a tray, he would come home, I would be, you know, naked in um, heels and an apron baking cupcakes. I got a stripper pole put in our living room and just to, you know, try hard because I, I didn't know what it was. I didn't know. If I was unattracted to him, I tried gaining weight, I tried losing weight, I tried doing anything that would make me more attractive. And he told me that, you know, I'm just not feeling sexual, it's not you, you're beautiful, blah, 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 oh, I don't feel like it, you know, I'm so tired. And I just, I couldn't, I couldn't figure out what it was. And, you know, I, he was on medication, so I figured maybe it was the meds. And just, I would cry. I would just sit there and cry and just be like, I don't understand. Like, I just want to have sex. And, it, and it's not being about sex for me and pleasure and more about my self-worth. That was a really profound statement, I thought, because it may seem on the surface like it is about this. You know, it's about the sex or the not having sex. But it really does get deep into the person's soul when you're a strong feeling person. Yeah. And like we're talking about, if that person sees your strength is that you're, you are a confident sexual creature, then it is to their advantage to get control of that and be able to play that like an instrument how they want to. So uh, she described herself as very much a sexual person. So she sees herself in that way. Uh, if he can control that, then he has the power in that relationship. And that's a strength in my book. If somebody, you know, owns their sexuality in a healthy uh, and affirming way, and if he 
sees that and it's not what he, I mean what happens with somebody like that that person could could go off and find a better sexual partner or or they might be judging you or whatever they want to use that for their advantage they're going to take your strengths and use them against you and that sounds like what that person was doing with her and it, that's just very sad to me. It but I'm glad sad. she's out. Yes, she's out. <laughs> she's she's a in survivor. a much happier place. She recently got married to an Yay. amazing guy. And so that is something that people need to know. They can right. they can get there. You can move on. Yeah, because they will. They'll, they, they People can – and this isn't just sociopaths, but other people as well who have their own hang-ups that they're projecting onto you. But uh, when you're feeling shamed – uh, in that way, that that's that's not good. They will they will exploit that. Yeah, yeah, and there can be some real physical risks as well. You Absolutely. mentioned they also will put their own health potentially at risk. And one woman I mentioned earlier, who was with uh, the man who turned out to also be a sex addict, it's one of my favorite interviews. Uh, and she went by the pseudonym of of M when we chatted, and M said that she found out. One of her first kind of clues was she got an STD and had no idea about all these other, you know, experiences that he was having. And, I mean, imagine what kind of risks he was putting himself out there at as well. It's it's pretty incredible. And I've also read and heard about people who will, you know, say that they're using birth control. There was a, a man who wrote to me. He said his uh, fiance at the time uh, had you know, said that she was on birth control and then she really wasn't and then she got pregnant and then she told him she had an abortion and she would use this whole, it was just one of the most traumatic stories that, that I think I've heard. And um, I think it's really important to know that you could be, maybe you are having sex with somebody who you think is a sociopath and it wasn't a healthy thing, but you're like, well, I could just have sex. Well, there could still be physical risks. Absolutely. Uh, sociopaths can be very promiscuous. Uh, they can be sex addicts. They're, it's Again, it's kind of a bottomless pit that can never be filled. Um, but not in the same way it is for a narcissist. It's not that emptiness that, that the narcissists have and feel. But with um, sociopaths, it's kind of like upping the ante, uh, always looking for a bigger mountain to climb. And it's it's terrible but i hear that story way too often about women and men but but more frequently with women finding out that their partner was running around on them because they test positive for something and that's it's devastating because women go through all kinds of their own head games or people do uh trying to figure out what happened where this came from and and how they are somehow responsible for it when there's really nothing you could have done and it's heartbreaking that you could be in a relationship with somebody for a really long time and they're going out on you and and it's not bad enough that they're going out on you but that they're not using protection um but yeah promiscuity is is a big issue with these people and there's that whole moment of oh my god who am i with Mm -hmm. You know, that and sometimes we, we might look back and see signs, but I think a lot of people have that epiphany, that sort of, oh, my God, am I with a stranger? Well, and I think that there comes a point where the newness wears off for them in whatever way 
uh, and you see what's underneath, like you're saying, and you go, wait, who is this person? And is this temporary? Is this just a momentary setback? But things can get really rough, too, because a lot of times people don't have empathy. They actually see pain as entertainment. And pain also sets off a lot of receptors for us and can be like a drug. People get addicted to getting tattoos because of the pain. Um, You know, and a little bit of that comes in with sex, too. You know, we talk about orgasm as the little death that, you know, that there's the sweet pain of love and heartbreak and uh, and that can come into the bedroom as well. And so there are degrees that are healthy, I think. Uh, but if it's not consensual, if your partner is getting rougher in their play without your consent or not listening to you when you're asking to stop, if they want to up the ante and just want more and more um, violent or abusive scenarios that they want to play out, yeah, you might want to talk to somebody about that. Because you might, again, you might find yourself agreeing to things that you're not comfortable with, but you feel like you can't not do it because you are addicted or rely on that person in some way, um, and you've invested time and energy. When we were talking earlier, I mentioned that I remember never feeling ready to leave until I was well past the relationship. And I think it's really common for people to not feel ready. I think sometimes you might wait until you feel ready. Uh, Could you speak to sort of the complexity of why we feel when we are in these relationships that we can't leave even when we know like it's no longer a question like this is not healthy well I think it's a really important question because it's women will do this to other women as well Uh, we'll look at somebody and go why can't they why don't they just leave him why are they staying in this situation and it may not even be somebody you know it may be somebody you're seeing on TV you never really know what's going on in somebody else's life so with that said Obviously, there are reasons that people don't leave, like financial stability or real fear of violence that, you know, if I leave, he will find me, he will track me down. And so to shame a person or uh, even inadvertently, because I I don't think I think it comes often from a place of fear and protection, like, oh, my God, I don't want you know, I, I want you to be safe. And I don't know how else to convey this message other than with some intense immediacy. Oh my God, you got to get out. Oh my God. You know, it's if, if somebody comes to you, if you witness that with other people or if you're in that scenario yourself, but especially if you're witnessing it with other people, I mean, it's gentleness and gentleness with yourself and understand that there, you know, what is your bottom line? What, where are your boundaries? And that is something if you're in it to consider what what if this isn't going to make me leave this person what will and it will be different for other people maybe it's like uh, this is going to sound very sick but maybe it's like it's okay if he hits me but if he hits the kids i'm out of here you know or (laughs) or if he kicks the dog forget it um if he drains the bank account you know he can do whatever he wants to me but as long as i can still shop and and that sounds so superficial but whatever you know if i can still maintain my life and keep the kids safe or whatever but you know whatever that person's boundary is they need to know it you need to know what 
what will make you leave? Uh, and then honor that and not put the pressure. I think we put our pressure on ourselves like, well, I got to go now. Uh, and I think slow and steady can sometimes be safer, but it really depends on what the nature of the relationship is. And why do people stay? I mean, all the reasons that we're talking about. Yeah. That's sex of your life, man. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and that sort of codependency and and really thinking like you actually can help this person or they'll say things like, you know, if you leave, I'll kill myself. Oh, sure. You'll get those threats. Or um, I've also heard if if you leave me, I'll ruin you. I will tell you, like I will make sure you never have another relationship. You never have another job. You you know, you'll never see your children. You'll never see your family. Uh, and as we were talking about earlier in, in this episode, uh, if they're successful in isolating you as well, you become more convinced of that and you don't have healthy people to mirror back to you that this is unhealthy and to say get out and come and stay with me and as a friend or um, a loved one on the other side of that that is why it's best not to try to push somebody to leave a uh, violent or dangerous situation like this before they're ready because you know they will they might cut themselves off from you and then when they really are ready to go even though you know but i'm always here they may not feel that they don't feel it and they feel ashamed because but august told me i should get out of it and you know and i'm just going to look like an idiot if i go and it can be crushing especially when you have just already had your self esteem just trampled on over and over and over again yeah yeah i remember being so scared of my ex that I was living with him, but I wouldn't sleep in the same room as him. So, and of course you can't sleep because you're terrified of the person in the other room. And yet I knew rationally I had places I could go. I mean, I, w I had isolated myself or he had led me to isolate, I guess, but I was so scared and, and felt I couldn't leave and couldn't put a finger on why, you know, but in my mind, I still knew that I had to, I knew I had to leave. I just didn't know why I wasn't or how I would get to that point. But as I've told you, I was really, I did have a passion in my life unrelated to him, which was this creative career I had. So that I knew, I, I think focusing sometimes on something else, if you can, um, was so helpful. But one huge shout out to my acting coach. Uh, she was so loving. And I remember he had stopped going to acting class because I had actually told him, I can't handle, before we were even dating, I said, I couldn't date an actor. Like an act as an actor, I could not date an actor. So what does he do? He quits, right? Um, not immediately, but he, he quit and he was focusing elsewhere, doing his own thing. And uh, my acting coach took me aside one day. She could see a change in me because you 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 are different. Mm -hmm. You start to lose yourself. And she said, hey, are you okay? And I said, I'm good. She's like, where's so-and-so? Where is he? Like, he was in class with me before. Like, where is he? What's what's going on? You know, and I just said, oh, you know, I, I just shared a few things, but I was kind of dancing around it. And she told me a story about a man she had dated 
when back in her acting and modeling days, and he became very abusive, and she felt very stuck in that relationship. And as she was speaking, it was as though she was describing him. And she looked at me right in the eyes and said, I just want you to know, no matter what happens, whatever you're going through, my door is always open. You can come in the middle of the night. You don't have to call. That's all. And I mean, I could cry right now. It was so beautiful. And it ma- it gave me this sense of courage and affirmation because she didn't force me. But she also showed me another way yeah. and just very gently and compassionately said, hey, you're not as alone as you think you are. And that made a huge impact on me. And I don't even remember the specific thing that had happened. It was one of his uh, violent as I've said, he wasn't violent at me. He was violent around me. And now I realize it was escalating. So thank God I, I did get out. Uh, but after there was some kind of blow up and I just left. And I had been planting seeds, though, even though I didn't have the courage. Like I would just go onto Craigslist and I would look at places. And I I started to dream up, and this is going to sound very woo-woo, but I I jotted down the things that I dreamed of, of having my own place, like my own space that felt so safe and so comfortable and that I didn't have to be afraid when I was sleeping and everything down to the rent amount. And I swear to you, it it just, it seemed to like poof happen. This uh, friend of a friend all of a sudden had this emergency and she's like, I need someone to sublet. It was way cheaper than it should have been. But I had a place to go. And I was so lucky because the next week, and I've never told this to anybody, um, the next week there was a massive hurricane and we were all locked into our places. And I was in my own safe space. I don't know what I I would have done or where I would be if if all of those things hadn't happened. But it's exactly what you said. How metaphorical, too, that that hurricane. The hurricane. Yeah. Yeah. But absolutely to to just have people around you that are kind of touchstones to who you're – who you are at your core, who you were when they met you and that person met you, um, that – that difference that that teacher saw in you, especially if you're talking uh, acting class, you know, we know in those situations there's so much vulnerability. So you really do get to see people's lightness. Even even the more you see their darkness, you see their light. Uh, and so when you see that being dimmed in some way, uh, it's hard not to want to do something. And it's beautiful that that person offered you that uh, that knowledge and that comfort and just to have with you. Because just saying that to you, I'm not saying it did. I don't know what the scenario is, but that it just boosts you a little bit more to be able to carry on. It's like keeping a list, too. So if you're in those scenarios, you can keep a list of the things that you're concerned about, like, you know, the pros and the cons. Um so, you know, are you worried about not being able to cover rent? Are you worried about, you know, what your family is going to say? I'll, and as you start to really examine each thing logically and rationally or go over them with a friend, uh, you start to see ways out. And then people also start to think of you like, hey, I'm going out of town. You know, maybe you need a break for a couple of days. And then 
the more you're putting it out there, the more doors yeah. are likely to open. Yeah, it's a lifeline. And it's also so affirming to know that somebody else noticed because you feel so alone and you feel like you're crazy. The whole gaslighting thing where Absolutely. they make you feel like there's something wrong with you, not them. And so you think it's all in your head, especially when you tell people that they've charmed oh, this is, we're going through this crisis. He's not being kind to me. They're like, what? That guy? He's amazing. Oh, yeah. Yeah, and be careful, too, because they, uh, soci- uh, sociopaths and, and narcissists as well, but but really sociopaths will be like, you're the problem, like, or, like, or it, it'll come really subtle, like, let's go to, let's go to couples therapy, and then they just sit there and throw you under the rails as they're being all charming, and like you need to be fixed it's not me and then they'll suddenly kind of disappear from from the process totally and they will seemingly forget all of the things that you said during a discussion and you start to wonder like how did we have the same conversation right you know it's yeah, like are we in the same relationship yeah 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 yeah, yeah. The, the gaslighting is it's such a common term now i mean people know it um but it is such a tool to weaken somebody's inner sense of who they are and what direction they want to go and what do you want in life and all of that. What's really important to you? Who's important to you? All of that comes into doubt when you're doubting your own reality, you know? So I don't know, really know what's good for me and what's bad for me and who's on my side and who's not, except for this one person who obviously they keep saving me, you know? They they are the people who might be moving my shit around. So I'm walking in and feeling like I'm going crazy because I can't find anything, but they're the person who's setting that stage. Um, they're the person who's uh, reflecting back to me a completely different scenario than the one my inner mechanisms are telling me I just had. Yeah. Yeah. That that gut and that self-awareness are, are huge. So quickly before we wrap up here, for anyone who is seeking hope and maybe feel stuck in a situation, what are some of the things that you'd like them to know? Uh, well, one of the things I, I told you I, I, I like to share with people who are getting out of problematic relationships, uh, but particularly with narcissists or socio, uh, socio, sociopaths. Um, so this is kind of a list that I've come up with, uh, compiled from a bunch of different sources. Um, there are some things you really need to let go of, and these are not easy things, so really talk through them with people. Um, you need to let go of needing to have the last word you know, so if you are a stubborn person on any level, you know, you got to check yourself because, yeah, we, we bring to relationships, even with sociopaths, our own baggage. Uh, it's not all on them. Um, Any time that you feel that you need to hear them confess and admit things, right, that's not a good one. Um, Needing to be reimbursed for anything because sometimes these will become excuses too to remain connected uh wanting to have them grovel uh grovel and want your forgiveness kind of to get to get you back uh a need for closure you're gonna need to let go of that revenge if you're feeling like you want revenge uh, not usually the way really sensitive vulnerable people feel with um anybody but 
it's possible. Maybe you are really angry because you've kind of you're woke now and you're mm-hmm. like, fuck this shit. I can't believe somebody <laughs> did this. I got to kick his ass. Take boxing instead. Yeah. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Find a different uh, outlet, something healthier. Um Needing to be heard and understood. But if you could just understand me, if we could just if, forget it. Uh, you've probably already done your time uh, and, and need to understand them. Just listen to one of August's podcasts on soci- <laughs> sociopaths um, and need for others to understand the people that they've won over. Ugh, that's know, hard. Because the people who really know you, I say this all the time. Somebody said it to me once and it just stuck with me. You know, there are two kinds of people in this world, your kind of people and not your kind of people. So if people don't understand or don't see it, that's okay. That's all right, too. But they they don't have to. Other people don't have to see what a terrible person this person was that hurt you. And then lastly, um, and this is the hardest, is we need to let go of our need to be loved and validated and wanted, respected and and missed by that person. And that can be really difficult because even when you know that that person is an asshole, you got in that relationship for a reason. And you may look back and go, well, why didn't I see the signs or why was I so dumb? But that person really was your perfect partner in in a moment, you know, and they're skilled at that. And that doesn't make you stupid or incapable of having real connections. Unfortunately, they're less capable of having real connections. And they're the ones who are more likely to end up alone and, you know, financially unsettled. But But you can move on. And you will be loved and you will be validated. We're here validating you right now. <laughs> yes, please hear that. Please hear that. You're okay. You have permission. You have and you'll have permission. amazing sex again. And, you know, yeah. and if you if, if if you come out of it and you're like, you know, uh, he wanted it rougher than I wanted it and I like it, you know, okay, maybe you learn something about yourself, you know, or maybe you learned that you like that toy or this position yes um you know try to take away the positive wherever you can but then let the rest go yeah such important points so important and you will find you can if you want to the validation and the love from somebody else i mean you can you really can't if you open the door but if you stay in a relationship like that's unhealthy you may miss those opportunities and I can't articulate what it feels like when you meet somebody who is sound and loving and stable and empathetic and really embraces you for who you are. You know, it is such a different world. And the healing process, I think, does strengthen you. It has to, you know. And so you do, you bring, you can take away that good and you can put that into this new relationship if you want to have another relationship. And it is... It is so affirming. And then you can look at the journey and go, you know what? I'm so much more grateful for what I have because it's so far different. Absolutely. And you go, the the more crap we go through, uh, <laughs> I just wrote something like this on my Facebook the other day. It, it just kind of, it allows us to blossom later. It's the fertilizer. It's it's it what really, it's what brings the rose to bloom. That, you know, so... People who never get fertilized that we think have it so easy, I mean, there's very little growth going on. Yeah. So if you can look at it as a growth experience, you're going to come out of it stronger in the long run. There's a beautiful rose garden waiting for you. 
That's right. Absolutely. Yes. Uh, thank you so much for being here. This thank is so, you so enlightening. Much for having me. Tell us where we can learn more about you. And you mentioned Facebook. Where are you online? Uh, so you can find me. My website is jennyjvwilson.com, and it's Jenny with an I. Uh, I'm also with Dr. Wendy O'Connor and Associates and Dr. Spelled Out, D-O-C-T-O-R, uh, wendyoconnor.com. You can email me at jenniferjvwilson uh, at gmail.com. I'm on Instagram at the Preppy Rebel. I am on Twitter at Jenny J. V. Wilson. I'm on Facebook. So, yeah, you can find me around. I'm on Psychology Today. Awesome. Awesome. And your podcast. How can we find Oh, right. Uh, Duh. Uh, so I do a podcast with Dr. Wendy O'Connor called The Relationship Show. We're on Podbean, iTunes, and now Google Play. Uh, and yeah, check it out. Check and if they want to hear us chatting together more, there's an episode. Yes, yes, yes. More. I wish I knew the episode number. I'm sorry. I'm. I'm I'll bad. share the link in the follow up blog. Yeah. You're an amazing guest. I kind of <laughs> forgot we were. Recording the interview. Yeah, like, know, we could just sit here and talk about <laughs> We this. totally could. I wish this was a telethon. Okay. Uh, <laughs> but if you are enjoying Girl Boner Radio, I hope you'll subscribe on iTunes if you haven't. And leave us a simple review while you're there. You can find a whole lot more extras and links to my articles and stuff at augustmclaughlin.com and girlboner.org. If you're looking for some amazing products from sex toys and manuals and empowering health products for your bedroom needs, head over to thepleasurechest.com or visit them in LA, Chicago, or New York. They offer free weekly workshops because they believe sex ed should be free. They are so amazing. Yay! Yay. And I'm going to be reviewing one of their amazing toys in an upcoming episode, so stay tuned. Thanks so much for listening and have a beautiful Girl Boner Embracing Week. <laughs>